So the sermon series, Too Good to be True, uh, speaking about why the Bible is good and true. And before I say anything else, I want you guys to quickly watch this short video. There was a recent study by the Center for Bible Engagement where they pulled 40,000 uh, uh, general population in the U.S. from 8 to 80. And they just wanted to see how we are engaging with Scripture. Right. And they discovered something that actually became kind of the profound discovery of the entire study. It, they weren't even looking for this, and this is kind of became the highlight of the study. Right. Um, when we're in the Scripture one time a week, and that could be church on Sunday. That's pastor saying you open your Bible, we hear the message. One time a week had negligible effect on some key areas of your life. So I'll, I'm going to spell that out more here in a moment. Two times a week, negligible effect. Now, at three times a week, there was a blip on the map. Like, there was a heartbeat. Something happened. Again, a heartbeat. But here was a profound discovery. When we're in the Scripture four times a week, it literally spikes off the chart. You would expect that it would be one, two, I mean, there would be a gradual incline on the effect and impact that would have in your life, but it was literally one, two, three, four, something radically happens. Okay, you got my curiosity. To this extent. What kind of behavior is being affected? Feeling lonely drops 30%. Wow. Four times a week in the Bible. Four times a week in the Bible. Okay. Anger issues drop 32%. Uh, Bitterness in relationships, marriage, a relationship with your kids, and so on, drops 40%. Alcoholism drops 57%. Feeling spiritually stagnant. You know, if there was one area when I'm talking with people that that they'll be honest about is they just feel spiritually stagnant. Ask them the question, how much time are you spending in Scripture? If they're in the Scripture four times a week or more, it drops 60%. Wow. Viewing pornography drops 61%. That's very important. Now, on a flip positive side, sharing your faith jumps 200%. Wow. Because you have a confidence in God's Word. And then discipling others jumps 230%. That's, That's amazing right there. All right, some cool stats. Um, Now... Um, I know that when you read or when you hear that, you're like, sure, okay, I think I can relate to some of that. Um, and I think when he speaks about spending time in Scripture, I don't think it's that, that verse a day that you get on your phone. It's like that quick verse a day and you quickly read it on your way to the loo while you're eating your Aubrey and, and then like brushing your teeth all in between. I know that you guys do that because I do it. It's like um, you're reading your Bible while brushing your teeth and all of that. It's like spending time in the Scripture. Um, and the interesting thing is once or twice a week has a negligible effect on your life. It doesn't really make sense. It's almost like, um, you know, when you chew a chappy um, and you are tricking your brain as if you are going to have lunch um, because it k- kickstarts your metabolism. And if you don't then eat something, it has a negligible effect on your health. Um, but then from four times a week, there are these major changes that takes place in your life. And um, studies show that the average Christian, now I know that we are all above average, right? But the average Christian spends more time just with mindless social media scrolling. And I'm not speaking about the times when you are posting something significant on Facebook or um, you are actually utilizing social media for something good. Is that times when you're like in your, in your bed and you're like...
And you don't even see what you're seeing, but you're like... And um, studies show that the average Christian, so not non-Christians, Christians, spend more time just doing that than they do reading Scripture. We're not even touching on Netflix and all of that. So the whole goal of this series is to speak about the importance of God's Word. Why is God's Word such an important aspect to the life of a Christian? Um, And tonight we're going to touch on an interesting topic, but last week, Philip Pretorius opened up the series with the word that creates and speaking about God that is the creator and that he is the source behind all of creation. And then by his word, he created. So the Bible says that in the beginning, God said, God said, and then creation formed. So by the words of God's mouth, the universe was created. Um, And Hebrews 11 verse 3 says, by faith we understand that the universe was created by the word of God, so that what is seen was not made out of things that are visible. So by faith we understand it was by the word of God that the universe was formed. So the word of God is the creating agent in the world. And God didn't need anything to create. There wasn't these raw materials. There was nothing. So God created something out of nothing. Um, And it's almost like this. God had a desire God spoke it, and it came into existence. There was no resistance when God called something into existence. Right? You see how nice that rhymes. It wasn't planned. But there's no resistance when God speaks something, and he, he, He wills something to come into existence. Creation obeys when God speaks. Now, this is something that should encourage you and me significantly because we might have areas in our own lives where there's like a stagnation, like you said, said in the video. There might be an area of your life that's stagnant. There might be an area in your emotions that, where you feel hopeless. There might be a space where you're depressed or you're lonely. And God doesn't need much from you to bring that area back to life. That should encourage you. That God is not looking towards you to determine what He wants to accomplish. Now, if He desires something... The rest of creation has to obey. It falls into um, submission to to God's will. And it should also humble us. So it should encourage us, but it should also humble us because we are not God. And ultimately, God's final word over creation will prevail. The Bible says that His word will accomplish what He has sent it forth to do. Ultimately, God's will will prevail. Regardless of what we see around us, regardless of the suffering in the world at the moment, God's will will prevail. Um, And here's the key, all right? So there's an end of time when God's ultimate will for the world will prevail. But in this space, you have the option or the the, the choice whether you want to submit under the authority of God and His Word, and then you will see this creating power have its full effect also in your own life. So that's where you and I have a choice. And that obviously does ask you a lot. If, if God calls you to submit all of your life under His authority, it's a big ask, right? Because okay? there's a lot to your life. You have relationships, you have finances, you have career aspirations and dreams, and some of you want to get married soon. Um, and God calls you to submit every aspect of your life under His will. That's tough, right? And that brings us then to this week. Can the Bible be trusted? <laughs> Is it true? Is this book that I'm holding here in my hand, is it trustworthy? Is it reliable? Is it true? Because if it's not, then I don't necessarily want to submit my life to it. So it's a fair question that many people ask. And maybe you 
tonight have some of those questions as well. Um, because in this space, you have an opinion about what this book is. So you might not believe that the Bible is true. You might say, no, I don't think it's true. And we should definitely not base our life decisions on what this book teaches us. You might believe that the Bible is somewhat true. Like there are things that you like, but there's also things that you don't like. So there's areas of your life that you will obey according to Scripture and some areas where you don't want to obey what the Bible says. And you might deem it as it's old-fashioned, it's irrelevant. Um, the, the society has evolved beyond some of the teachings of the Bible. Or you might believe that the Bible is the Word of God and that it, is, it holds the highest authority over our lives. All right? If you are a, um, quotation marks, a good Christian, and you went to Sunday school, and you went to church as a kid, and all of that, you should probably be sitting here tonight saying, yeah, obviously, I, I must believe that the Bible is the, the, the Word of God, and I believe that the Bible is the Word of God. But then if we were to pause and almost like assess our own lives, do our actions validate our belief statement? The way we live our lives. Because the Bible teaches some really difficult stuff, okay? The Bible says that we should forgive those who really hurt you. <laughs> I don't know if I always want to do that. Like, the Bible says vengeance is mine and we shouldn't take vengeance on our own. We don't know if we always want to do that, right? Sometimes we want justice now. Uh, the Bible tells you how you should manage your money. We really don't like that. The Bible tells us how we should care for the poor. And... The Bible tells you that you should deny earthly pleasures for the sake of eternal riches. So there's a lot of stuff that the Bible teaches you, which is not always so nice to hear. And um, if, if we hold to a position where we say that this word of God is the truth, but there are certain elements that we don't want to apply to our lives, then we fall into an error. So Psalm 119 verse 160 says, the sum of your word, the totality of your word is truth. And every one of your righteous rules endures forever. So it's almost like the Bible is saying this is an all or nothing thing. You either embrace my word as the truth completely. It has final authority over your life or you reject it as the truth. There's almost like no middle ground. Now, um, Luke 1 verse 1 to 4, so one of the gospel writers, Luke, he, he gives us this encouragement, and then we'll be expanding from this a bit. He says, Inasmuch as many have undertaken to compile a narrative of the things that have been accomplished among us, just as those who from the beginning were eyewitnesses and ministers of the word have delivered them to us, it seemed good to me also, having followed all things closely for some time past, to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theopilus, that you may have certainty concerning the things you have been taught. And I love this. And Luke is seen as one of the best historians in history compared to all historians, not just Christian historians. So the accuracy in which he would capture the detail of events and all of that and put it together, he was, he's deemed as one of the greatest historians, historians in history. But he says, and he writes here to to one of his disciples, and he says, I've put all of this together that you may have certainty concerning the things you have been taught. Certainty. Now, why? You see, the Bible claims not just to be a story. The Bible doesn't just claim to be a good storybook, and you can read it every now and then and feel happy and, and all of that. 
the, it, it claims to have the accounts of how the world was formed, the origin of the universe, how it all started. It gives insights into who you are, your identity. It gives insights into why you are here, your purpose in life. It tells us the story of how everything will end in, in the end. And it tells us what is wrong with the world we live in, how it all got so messed up, why it is broken. But it also shows us the way it can be fixed. So in this, the Bible comes and brings this wealth of resources or wealth of knowledge and wisdom, but it also makes some outrageous claims concerning eternity and the afterlife. Now, what are some of the objections? And I'll give you guys a disclaimer just um, some from the start, is we're not going to be able to go into all of it. There's a lot, um, but I'll link you guys to some resources. But some of the objections against the reliability of Scripture is, that it's just a fictional story. It's something that someone made up, and um, obviously in difficult times, people need something to inspire them, something to give them hope. And the Bible story is just a good story to give people hope in the midst of difficult times. And even today, people will say, if your faith works for you and it helps you to stay stable in the midst of uncertainty, I'm really happy for you. But it's more than that. Another objection is that it was written by human authors, and none of us are perfect, right? So it's, we can't trust it. We can't base our whole livelihood on something that was written by men. An, an objection is that there are many false claims in the gospel specifically, but also specifically from the early disciples, that they did many things for selfish gain, um, and therefore they wrote the things that they wrote. Another one is that there are inconsistencies and contradictions in the Bible. And then one also that miracles don't exist and that science has disproven miracles. Science shows that miracles cannot occur. All right. Now, very important. Um, the question of whether something is true or reliable looks at facts. And what are facts? Facts are true, yes. <laughs> Facts don't care how you feel. <laughs> um, when it comes to looking at something like, like facts and we're discovering truth, you don't have to agree with something for it to be true. All right? I don't have to agree with the speed limit in order for the speed limit to be real. Where's my real? Um, <laughs> um, something doesn't have to make me feel warm and fuzzy for it to be true. If I read something in Scripture and it evokes an emotion of anger or outrage or disappointment, that doesn't mean it's not true. And it's very important. So um, when we look for truth, we're looking for facts. And facts are um, objective and impartial. So it's like gravity. Let's say you are in an airplane and you jump out of the airplane without your parachute. Um, and then you become aware of this thing called gravity. Now, you can in that moment say, I don't believe in gravity. <laughs> you can. You can even be angry at gravity. You can even try to bribe gravity. I have money at home. <laughs> gravity doesn't care. Gravity just is. And it's the same when we look at facts and we discover something to be true. It is. And it doesn't care about your feelings so much. It doesn't care whether you agree. It just is. And when, that's what we're going to try and discover a little bit tonight. Now, there are three things. Um, is the Bible reliable? Is the Bible true? And is the Bible trustworthy? And there are three different things, all right? Whether something is reliable, 
true and trustworthy? There are three different questions, and we won't get time to get to the last two, but I'll give you guys some insight into it. But we're going to start with, is the Bible reliable? All right. Now, there's a guy or an organization that has put together some resources, Impact 360, and you can also go and view them online on YouTube, and they've got incredible videos that explain difficult questions, um, and they do it much more, much more articulately than I do. So we're going to watch this video. Is today's New Testament the same as the original that was written 2,000 years ago? Or has the original been hopelessly lost? After all, not one of the original manuscripts still exists. New Testament critic Bart Ehrman asks, What good is it to say that the original writings of the New Testament were inspired? We don't have the originals. We have only error-ridden copies. And the vast majority of these are centuries removed from the originals and different from them, evidently in thousands of ways. There are more variations among our manuscripts than there are words in the New Testament. If we can't trust the New Testament, we can't trust what we think we know about Jesus of Nazareth. And there's no such thing as authentic Christianity. Let's look at this more closely. The New Testament, in all significant literature from the ancient world, is reconstructed into its original form by comparing manuscript copies that have survived. To determine the reliability of this reconstruction, historians ask three questions. How many copies exist? How long is the time gap between when the original was written and when the earliest surviving copy was made? And how significant are the differences between the copies? The experts have more confidence in their reconstruction of the original text when there are lots of copies to work with, the time gap is short, and the differences are relatively insignificant. Historians are confident they have reconstructed the original works of Plato and Homer with a high degree of accuracy. So let's compare these works to the New Testament. We have 219 copies of Plato, 2,300 copies of Homer. But when it comes to the New Testament, we have an overwhelming 5,700 manuscript copies in the original Greek alone. In comparison with the average ancient Greek author, the New Testament copies are well over a thousand times more plentiful. If the average sized manuscript were two and one half inches thick, all the copies of the works of the average Greek author would stack up four feet high, while the copies of the New Testament would stack up to over a mile high. This is indeed an embarrassment of riches. But how much time elapsed between the original writings and the earliest surviving manuscript copy? 1,300 years passed before the first surviving copy of Plato was written, and only 400 years for Homer. How about the New Testament? Just 35 years. In the world of ancient literature, this is a blink of an eye. The wealth of material that is available for determining the wording of the original New Testament is absolutely stunning. But these manuscripts are not identical. In fact, they contain roughly 400,000 differences. The obvious question then is, how significant are these variations? Most of them are simply variations in spelling, which are easy to sort out. Then we find minor differences, such as the use of synonyms or a definite article with a proper name. These have no effect on translation. There are also errors that scholars have determined were not in the original text. That means that less than 1% of all the variants have any real significance at all for the meaning of the original text. 
And none of these, not one, affects a single core doctrine of the Christian faith. Furthermore, in their various writings, early church leaders quoted the New Testament over a million times. So extensive are these citations that if all the other sources for our knowledge of the text of the New Testament were destroyed, they would be sufficient alone for the reconstruction of practically the entire New Testament. The overabundance of early and accurate manuscripts and quotations from those manuscripts combined to make reconstruction of the original Greek text of the New Testament virtually certain. The books of the New Testament you read today are the same as the original writings penned nearly 2,000 years ago. Right. So for some of you, that was very interesting, and some of you are like, okay. Um, like you might be sitting here thinking, I don't have a problem with the Bible. <laughs> um, but we'll get to it towards the end um, in our application of the whole Scripture, but also being able to defend Scripture, being able to really, um, when someone else says, no, I don't believe that the Bible is true, for you not just to say, oh, well, sorry for you, um, or to say, no, I just have faith, um, like that whole, the whole blind faith element. The Bible calls us to have a reason for the hope that we have. Um, and part of tonight is to give you a little bit of a reason for why we hold to the Bible as the truth. Um, and in that video, he basically speaks about the, the reliability of the New Testament. So they look specifically at the New Testament and saying that if we compare the way that they would Authentic, authenticate a document of history, um, there is nothing that compares to the Bible. And if we then say, no, we don't believe that the Bible is reliable, there will be no document in history that will be able to pass that test. Then nothing that you and I apply to our lives based on certain historical events would hold any truth if we discard the reliability of the Bible. Because there is no document of antiquity, document in history, that compares to the vast amount of resources or evidences available that compiles the Bible we have today. So a lot of the objections that come against the Word of God are often driven from a different motive that I'll get to just now. Now, obviously, in this video, they speak about the New Testament, all right? Now, we don't have that many manuscripts available of the Old Testament, but there was a space where they discovered the Dead Sea Scrolls, and I'm going to read two portions for you, just giving you a little bit of insight into the Dead Sea Scrolls. And if this is something that interests you, like if you have a mind that loves to understand things and you want to go deeper into understanding the depths of why the Scripture is reliable, um, yeah, there's many places where we can link you to so that you can increase your knowledge. All right. So the Dead Sea, Dead sea Scrolls. Before the discovery of the Dead Sea Scrolls, the oldest known manuscripts of the Hebrew Bible, so that is Old Testament, where am I? Dated to the 10th century AD. The Dead Sea Scrolls include over 225 copies of biblical books that date up to 1,200 years earlier. These range from small fragments to a complete scroll of the prophet Isaiah and every book of the Hebrew Bible except Esther and Nehemiah. Now, Isaiah is, a, is an important book that we have a full copy of because in the, the book of Isaiah, there are so many prophecies about the Messiah that will come and Jesus fulfilled every single one of them. So the person of Christ, his life and his death and his resurrection fulfilled every single one of the prophecies that we find in the book of Isaiah, but also in the other prophetic books. 
They show that the books of the Jewish Bible were known and treated as sacred writings before the time of Jesus with essentially the same content. All right, but now something else, even without the Dead Sea Scrolls, something that would give us a great validity of the Old Testament is the amount of times that the, the Old Testament is quoted from the New Testament Scripture. So now, remember, we've now discovered that the, the New Testament writings are about 99% accurate, and that 1% is basically irrelevant to the core Christian doctrine or the message of Christianity. And the, the amount of quotations within the New Testament that is now scientifically proven to be reliable gives us a confidence that we can also trust the teachings of the Old Testament. So, are the writings of the Bible reliable? Are they worth investigating? Because now we spoke about just reliability, but not necessarily about truth um, and also trustworthiness. So all of Christianity, and you'll see the message of the Old Testament, the message of the New Testament, it has this pinnacle point. If you want to take a guess where that pinnacle point is, you guys know the answer. The people at home are shouting it out. <laughs> Where? What's the pinnacle point in the whole story of the Bible? The crucifixion of Jesus. All right, I know that you guys know it. You're just scared to speak in public. <laughs> but we'll get it right next week. Um, the crucifixion of Jesus. And friends, we need to understand that the pinnacle of Christianity is the resurrection of Christ. So the truth of Christianity can be pinpointed to one single event. Now, that, if, like, investors would tell you, if you put all your eggs in one basket, if you invest all of your money in one thing, that's very stupid. All right? Now, Christianity has placed all of the weight of its truth in one single event, the resurrection of Christ. So, disprove the resurrection of Christ, and Christianity is false. This Bible is null and void. And for more than 2,000 years, people have been trying to disprove the, the resurrection of Christ, um, even to the extent where a Muslim scholar, where they deny that Jesus um, died, he was taken away and replaced with someone else. A Muslim scholar said that the, the Muslim world must stop asking, did Jesus die, but rather start asking why. So, um, and a, an incredible resource that you can go and read maybe a bit further if this is something that interests you, is a book by Lee Strubel called A Case for Christ. There's also a movie about that. So maybe the movie will intrigue you to read the book. Um, and it's actually a decent Christian movie. So A Case for Christ. Now, other objections to the Bible. They say it's human authors, all right? So it was written by humans and therefore it can't be trusted. Now, I want to almost like pose a very simple response to that. The God who created the universe out of nothing, all right? The God who is able to speak mountains and seas and stars and suns into existence. Is he not able to preserve that which is important? Is he not able to preserve his word? Is he not able to preserve the writing of his word or the translation of his word? Do we deem such a small image of the God of creation that we think he cannot preserve that which is most important? The Bible doesn't claim that the, the writers of the Bible went into this hallucination trance and like God took over their bodies and they didn't know what they were writing, but they were inspired by the Holy Spirit to write what God tells them to write, to write what they see under inspiration of the Holy Spirit. And the God of the universe will preserve that which is important. Secondly, 
There are false claims and selfish, and, and selfish gain. So the disciples did all of this. All of these claims they made was basically for selfish gain. Now, we know that at least eight of the disciples were martyred and murdered because of their faith. Not one of them recounted the testimony that they saw the resurrected Christ. And if you go and read just the book of Acts and the church history of the early church, how the persecution against Christians arose. Whom of you would call yourself a Christian? All right? Back then, it wasn't a good thing. And it wasn't something that people called themselves. The, the name Christian was people saw that you lived a life that looked like the life of Jesus, and they called you a little Christ, a Christian, and it was an insult. So to be an ins uh, a Christian was a shameful thing, and you were persecuted because of it. But not one of them recounted their faith. They lost possessions and loved ones. What did they gain? It's not the prosperity gospel we see in the world today where um, there's like this golden window for you to tithe and you will receive 10 times more back. It was none of that. They sold their homes. They sold their possessions. They left family for the sake of the message of Jesus. So there's nothing to gain. There are inconsistencies and contradictions. Now, they've already touched on, on that in the video as well, that these are minor inconsistencies. And sometimes we look at contradictions in the Bible not so much as contradictions of the bigger storyline, the bigger narrative of the Bible, but more a contradiction to the way that I want to live my life. Yes, there will be contradictions. <laughs> the Bible will not always agree with the way you want to live your life. Um, and then one is miracles. Saying, doesn't science disprove miracles? And we need to understand that science operates in the, operates in the realm of the natural so a miracle, by definition, is something that is supernatural. It's outside of the realm of natural. So it's claiming that the God who created the universe intervened in the natural world for a greater purpose or to accomplish a greater purpose. Um, and hence, science cannot prove or disprove miracles because it doesn't operate in that same field. It, it's, it's not on the same wavelength, if we can call it that. Not in a negative way. Science just runs with stuff that deems with, that works with the natural. So it always assumes that there's a natural cause for this. Miracles are, however, proven or disproven by eyewitnesses. And in the life of Jesus, more than 500 eyewitnesses saw the resurrected Christ. Uh, and they've got like this hallucination theory where all of these people were hallucinating and thinking that they're seeing Jesus. Maybe if it was four or five people, but not 500 people. More than 500 people saw the resurrected Christ alive. Science and faith. And um, I'm giving you guys a couple of just information nuggets, and I hope this is okay. Um, we could spend a long time just running through a lot of this, but I hope that it either intrigues you in one way, that you maybe were going to read up a bit more. Um, maybe this is your full satisfaction, like, that's enough um, apologetics talk for me, like, my tank is full. Maybe some of you have a desire to read more. But science and faith. So not one claim from the Scripture has been proven to be false. Nothing in Scripture has been proven false by um, discoveries in, in modern science. In fact, the more science evolves, the more it affirms the writings in the Bible. So in archaeology, they would find places or discover places that the Bible spoke about, and the Bible would tell about certain scenes or events or wars that took place, and archaeology would affirm Yep, this looks like this is where this, this happened. Biology confirms the complexity of the human body and that it points towards the assumption that there is design involved. 
one biologist said that the, there's the indication of design when I look at the DNA inside the human body, but we must remind ourselves that this was by evolution, not by some grand design. So it's almost like, remember, we've made a pre-positioned decision that there is no God. So now the facts must align to what we've already decided versus objectively looking at what the evidence shows us and following the evidence. So the guy, Lee Struble, was a crime scene um, investigator. So they would look at evidence. What was he? Cold case the investigative journalist, yes. But they would look at scenes, my wife, you see. That's why I bring her to church. <laughs> um, but there's a... Um, there's another guy, I can't remember his name now, but he's a cold case detective. Um, I'll remember his name now. now. Um, but he says that if you arrive in a crime scene, the, the right way for the detective to act is to look at the evidence and then to find the culprit or the answer to the problem, what the evidence shows you. But if you walk into a crime scene with a presupposed idea that this person is the murderer, you can manipulate the evidence towards your goal, the decision that you've already made. Cosmology have confirmed some of the writings in the Bible about the world was formed. There are things that the Bible states about how the world was formed and what the universe looks like that science only discovered later. One of the greatest things was the Big Bang Theory. All right? All of you know that, either through science or through Netflix. But you know about Big Bang Theory. Um, and before th that discovery... They were basically saying that the universe has always existed. And that's important because if the universe has always existed, it doesn't require a creator. It doesn't require a first cause. But then they discovered that the universe had a beginning. And for a long time, that research was also suppressed because this now creates a problem for the scientific community. If the universe had a beginning, what was the first cause? And that's where a lot of these evolution theories and all of that has come about. Um, for psychology and human behavior, all right? There's a lot of stuff that has been discovered in psychology that affirms some of the teachings of the Bible. And then neuroscience and how the brain works. We had a sermon series a while back, Taken Captive, and speaking about the whole reprogramming your mind and how neuroscience affirms what Paul wrote about many centuries ago. We look at the impact of the word in modern culture. End of slavery. Teachings on marriage and healthy families, wise money management, wisdom and principles that's found in Scripture. Many of your self-help books would not quote the Scripture, but it's built upon wisdom and principles from the Scripture. Um, so it's important. So what would you have to gain if the Bible is not true? If we look at a lot of these impacts, so what would you have to gain to say that the Bible is not true? And I think the biggest thing, there's probably more, but the biggest thing is, if the Bible is not true, then the claims about God is not true. Hebrews 4 verse 13 says this. Nothing. Everyone say nothing. You at home say nothing. Nothing in all creation is hidden from God's sight. Everything is uncovered and laid bare before the eyes of him to whom we must give account. There's the problem. We don't want to give an account of our lives. <laughs> I want to live life my way. It's my life. Um, bon Jovi sang that song like as a declaration for, 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 I don't know, what teenagers back then. It's my life. I want to live it the way I want to live it. I want to do the things I want to do. If it makes me happy, I want to do it. If it, doesn't want to, if it doesn't make me happy, I don't want to do it. We don't want to give an account um, 
We want to do what we feel is right. Now, where has that left us? Where has that left us today? There's a moral decay in society. There's an identity crisis. There's an identity crisis um, unparalleled in young people today of centuries before or just decades before. What's a decade? Ten years. Yes. What's a hundred years? Yes. You guys, I'm being educated tonight. Um, But there's an identity crisis and young people are battling with this. There's an anxiety and depression um, that is alive in society today that is just through the roof. They're saying that the average teenager today, this was, sorry, this was a study back in 2000, that the average teenager in the year 2000 has the same amount of anxiety that would get teenagers being um, institutionalized back in the 1950s, 1960s. So what would cause you to be an institution back then is now just normal. And that's before COVID and the impact of all of this. And just think about, we are now in 2021, how the impact of social media just on your anxiety levels and depression and all of that. Selfishness and self-preservation. We live me first. If I'm okay, then maybe I'll start to look at the next person. But there's a a pursuit towards self-preservation. They are trying to establish a community on Mars, right? Who's that catered towards? Definitely not those who are currently living in shacks. Even the earth itself suffers. The earth itself suffers. And all of this is foretold in the Bible. Everything that we're seeing happening and playing out in the world today, the Bible tells us about. And it's almost like in the modern world, people are adamant to try and find identity and purpose deliberately apart from God. That there has to be a way for me to identify who I am outside of God because I don't want to be accountable to something higher. But apart from the Creator, there is no life. There's only decay. So what do you have to gain if the Bible is true? What do you have to gain if the Bible is true? Now, the teachings in the Bible tells you who you are. It tells you where you come from. It tells you whom you belong to. It tells you your true worth. It tells you why God has placed you here. Why did He place you in this timeline, in this nation? Why did He place you in the neighborhood where you're at? God tells you about the detail of your purpose, why you exist God promises that there's comfort available to those who mourn, that there's healing to those who are sick, there's freedom for those who are captive, there's this restoration for those who are destitute, and there's an eternal security that is preparing for you. So there's a space where the Bible tells you that this world is not all that there is, but there is another world coming, and I'm preparing a way for you, and you have an eternal security that even in the midst of this uncertainty, you do not have to be uncertain. The Bible is rich of of promises that speaks to your soul today. The Bible is rich about promises that affirms the needs that you have today. John 6.63, Jesus says, It is the Spirit who gives life. The flesh is no help at all. The words that I have spoken to you are spirit and life. The words that I have spoken to you are spirit and life. And Psalm 119 verse 25, My soul clings to the dust. It, um, it's almost like there's a space where your, your soul, your, your life, clings towards the brokenness of this world. And there's a space where the brokenness of this world, the corruption of this world, wants to start to dictate your behavior. It wants to dictate your emotions. It clings to the dust, but it cries out the psalmist and says, Give me life according to your word. 
the Word of God isn't just the creating force in the beginning of time. It's the same creating force that still creates today in your life and through your life. Yes, there are difficult texts. There are difficult texts in the Bible. But just because it's difficult doesn't mean it's not true. Sometimes we don't have all the context, all the historical and cultural background. And I think, like I mentioned earlier, one of the biggest things is we don't always understand God's eternal purposes. Because God is eternal, He's always acting with eternity in mind. He makes decisions today for, with eternity in mind. And we are not geared that way, right? Try to think about eternity. You can't. <laughs> you might add like a million years. Like, that's more. No, we're more concerned about tomorrow, but tomorrow is a public holiday. Praise the Lord. <laughs> God always works with eternity in mind, friends. And in this life, in this world, in its fallen state, God will sometimes do things, allow things that you and I don't understand or even agree with. But He's calling you to trust Him. Now, the evidence available just for the reliability of Scripture should at minimum, at minimum, cause you to consider and investigate the claims that the Bible makes. The evidence of the Scripture reveals um, that it's reliable. It's overwhelming when we start to go into the detail of it. So then the second part is, is it true? Are the, the, yes, there are many claims, so at least investigate them. But are these claims true? And anything that claims to be true must be able to be tested. Otherwise, I can just say anything. So anything that claims to be true must be able to be tested. And I want to call you, go and put the claims of the Bible to the test. Start with the, the person of Jesus Christ, because if, if that's not true, then you don't have to bother with the rest of the book, all right? I'm saving you time. But put the, the claims of the Bible to the test, and go and see if God will not show Himself faithful to you. And then is it trustworthy? The aspect of trustworthy speaks about character. And the question is more, can I trust God's character? Can I trust God's will for my life? Does God really want my good? Or is He one, some tyrant God who's just manipulating me and using me for some, some, someone spoke to me and they said that they view us as this test subject and God is there somewhere and He's got all of these different worlds and, and He's got different circumstances for all of them. Um, and we are His test subjects because He wants to see how we will react. The Bible does not teach you that. The Bible speaks about a loving Creator. And next week we're going to speak about this Word that became flesh and dwelt among us. This Word that gave His life for you and me. That testifies to the character of God. And He says, my intentions towards you are only good. I'm going to ask the, the band that they can come up so long as we conclude. The ultimate question, right, is will you trust God with your life? Will you trust God with your whole life? Will you trust God with your whole life? Now, the Bible gives us, and there's probably more, but I'm going to mention two warnings just regarding our response to God's Word. In Matthew 7, Jesus says, Everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew, and the beat against that house, and it fell, and great was the fall of it. Friends, in these seasons where we face intense turmoil and suffering and all of this, your foundations are shown. The way you've built are shown. Um, and if, you're, if you don't have the Scripture, there is no foundation. 
and your life will fall apart. And we see this happening in the world today. But Jesus goes one step further. He says, knowing the Scripture is not enough. If you know the Scripture, but you don't obey the Scripture, you are like a man building his house on the sand. And you have this facade of a good house. But when the storms come, the house falls. And this last sentence, and it fell, and great was the fall of it. When your house falls, it normally falls on, on top of everything on the inside. And for some of you, that might include your marriages. You see, it takes everything with it when the storm comes. James 1 verse 22 says, Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. So again, those who do not have the scripture are already deceived. But now it says when you read the scripture but you do not obey it, you are deceiving yourselves. Who do you have to blame? Only myself. And that's where it comes to this space where the question is asked for you and me. Do we hold to the scripture as the ultimate authority? Or do I have a selective Christianity where there are some parts of this Bible that I, I don't want to read because it's maybe just too difficult. It might call, ask, ask of me something that I'm not willing to do. Now friends, the Bible doesn't invite you to do more. It invites you to know God. If you know God, you will trust Him. And if you trust Him, you will trust His Word. You will trust His agenda over your life. So I want to pray into that for us tonight. I want you just to reflect on your own life. Um, and if, if, you, if you're in a space where you're saying, I don't know whether the Bible is true. Will you at least commit to investigate its claims? Will you at least commit to go and investigate the things that the Bible teaches and start with the person of Jesus Christ? Start with Jesus. Because if He's true, then everything is true. If Jesus is who He says He is, then everything changes. But if you're here tonight at, uh, um, online or in person and you claim to be a Christian, you claim to be a follower of Christ. Where's your relationship with the Word of God tonight? I want to dare you to trust God by just reading your Bible. We've got about three weeks left of this sermon series. Why not for the next three weeks just commit to read your Bible every day? Go to Psalm 119. It's a long psalm. It'll keep you busy for three weeks. Meditate on it. It speaks about a love for the Word, a passion for the Word of God. And allow the Word to, to, to create in you. And remember the promise. God isn't asking you to bring all of the things that you have so that He can create something in your life. Will you just bring your life and submit it under the authority of Scripture? And you will see Scripture work. Friends, that's how God works. If you get into your Bible, I don't even always have to understand what I'm reading. Sometimes I'm reading a scripture and Griette and I, we were praying, reading through Psalm 119 or a Psalm one morning. And afterwards we were like, I don't really know what that means to us. But then we prayed and then we went with, on with our day. Just reading scripture will have an impact in your soul. Why? Because it's the word of God. Because it's the life-giving word of God. 
and you just bringing yourself into a position where the life-giving Word of God can be spoken over your life will have an effect in your life. You will see it. So Father, I pray that as you speak to people right now, that you'll call them to a commitment, not towards anyone in this room or at home, but towards the Holy Spirit. And if you feel God calling you towards making a commitment, I want you to speak that in your heart. Say, Holy Spirit, I commit to read my Bible. And I give you permission to hold me accountable. Friends, God is faithful. God is faithful. And I know it's not something that we have to pray. I know that as you spend time in God's Word, you will see God's Word change your life. That's God's promise.